You're listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel-centered ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. for Pastor Brandon and you're like, this is not he. Where did he go? How did his beard get so white so fast, right? Um, Brandon and Wendy actually had the honor of being at Adrian's Baccalaureate this morning. So I think they will be here at some point. He did pop, they did pop by this morning for a little bit. Um, I think everybody knew he wasn't going to be sticking around because he was wearing a full suit tie. Um, I did question his judgment out of all the colors of ties in his closet. He did pick the one that was bright yellow, or as he would call it, maize, to match his blue suit, right? Um, but for those of you who I have not had the privilege of meeting, uh, I'm Jeremy Petrosini. My wife and I had the privilege of living in Lenawee County and being part of Ogden Church for about 10 years uh, when we were newly married and uh, raised our, our kids here. Um, we are both from Ohio, hence why I disliked the color of tie he picked out. I know some of you were like, that's not, you don't want to lead with that, Jeremy. Save that. Save that. You didn't have to tell us where you're from, but I'm going to let you know where I'm from, right? Um, but my wife and I grew up in Ohio. We had the privilege of living here in Lenawee County. Um, I was actually on staff here at Ogden Church for a number of years as the associate pastor, and I thought that was actually going to be a short-lived uh, job because we had recently moved into this building. I think it was 2004. Somebody was, somebody was helping me remember last night. Um, 2004, we were in the building maybe four months, and we're like, we need to do some baptisms. Now, what's interesting, and some of you who remember this have tried to forget it, but I'm standing, I think, in the exact spot where we would bring in a, a hot tub, right? Dick Bennett would bring in a hot tub for us. And the very first time we were filling that thing up, we had a hose running back here. There's a little utility closet. And we had some kind of like filter device on the hose, and I was responsible. One of my very small, minute tasks was to check on the hot tub. So our offices were just up here. I'd come down, I'd check on it, and it was maybe an inch of water. I come down 30 minutes later, and it's maybe an inch and a half of water, right? I'm like, this is going to take forever. So I went back and I looked at it, and I'm like, why don't we take this stupid filter thing off, right? So I took the filter thing off, and I'm like, this will speed it up a little bit. I go back upstairs, I'm doing something, and I don't know how long it was, but somebody comes frantic, we had some volunteers here, they come frantically up into the office, and they go, Jeremy, 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 and I go, oh, the hot tub's full? They go, no, the entire auditorium is full. The hot tub have, had overflowed like the love of the Father, right? And had gone almost to the drywall, thankfully it didn't touch the drywall, it was everywhere. And I was a little bit frantic. Um, I was reminding my colleagues and our staff at the time, I'm like, John 1, Jesus teaches to be full of grace and truth. Because I knew there was some truth coming. <laughs> I knew there were some moments where, like, this is a brand new building. Um, thankfully, Connie Morris, who some of you know Connie, um, she is the equivalent in my life to, to Jesus with skin on. And she just very, said, very easily said, Jeremy, that's why we have insurance. I love that she said that. Not everybody else responded the same way, right? But we were stacking chairs. It was an all-hands-on-deck. Bring your shop back. Let's vacuum the water up. Um, I don't know if that's why there's a stage here now, if it, 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 the mold from this area of the stage never recovered. Um, but super excited to be, to be back here. Um, it's an honor. It's a privilege um, to be with you all today. Uh, Brandon, when he asked me to, to share, was, he had shared with me that you guys were kicking off this, this uh, series in the book of Ephesians. And very simply kind of playing into 
post-Easter from death to life, like what Christ did for us, but the life that he invites us into, and what that means, and how we can live that life here and now to the full. Uh, there's a verse in, in John, it's John 10.10, 10, that Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I know there's moments in life, like that moment where I flooded, flooded that hot tub, where you're like, you want to hide under a rock, or at least I did, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. By the way, fast forward 25 years, I wish that was the worst thing <laughs> that ever happened to me. I'm like, I'm an idiot, and I do dumb things. So, um, but in that moment, it just felt like, oh, I don't, I don't, I, I got to get away from it all. For every one of us, I know there's moments where life's not going the way we want it to. I know there's other moments where life's going pretty good. And a question that I want us to think about today as we're here together and, and, and looking at the scriptures and what does it mean for us and the life that God has designed and called us to live is, are you dying to live? Right? Are you dying to live? Are you, are you waking up and going, life is good, but I want a little bit more? And as I mentioned, that's the life Jesus invites us to, is he wants us to have a life that's full and abundant, where we don't just live in the status quo, but we, we want to take life up a notch. Um, I, I work for the Gallup organization, so when I left here um, 17 years ago, my wife and I had the privilege to move back to Cleveland, Ohio, um, and help start a church there in church planting or starting churches. Uh, there wasn't a lot of money to pay all of us, so a couple of us had to, had to find, as my mother-in-law would call, a real job, right? Um, but we, I, I started working for the Gallup organization, which most of you, if you know Gallup, it's Gallup Poll. Um, one of my colleagues says we've been interrupting dinner since 1935. That's usually when we're calling people around the world to ask all sorts of crazy questions. Um, but one of the things that Gallup does is studies life satisfaction. So 8 billion plus people on the planet. We talk to people in over 150 countries around the world. And again, I've been with the organization 17 years. We've got all this data, all these insights around what is it that, that makes people who are happiest and healthiest, what is it that they have in common? What are some of those things? Are people in different parts of the world living at a lower quality of life? And what could we do and what could the leaders in those communities do to help them live a better life? Now, one of the questions we ask, and it's very simply called the Cantrell Ladder question, and it's based on a ladder, like you see here on the screen behind me. And what the question is this. So we go into 150 different countries and we, we simplify it. We just say, imagine a ladder with 10 rungs. Right, that translates in, into a global image that people can imagine. And we say, the 10th rung is the best life imaginable. Life couldn't get any better. You're like, it is everything I've ever dreamed of is happening. That's a 10 out of 10. The bottom rung is the worst life imaginable. Where you're like, I can't imagine. Right? Some of you have, have faced some pretty lows in your life and tragedy has happened to you or you've done something that you regret, but it's, it's brought you to a low that you're like, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even imagine life getting any worse. And we ask that question. Think about that for yourself. I'm not going to have you hold up where you're at or, or announce out loud, but think about that for yourself. On a scale of 1 to 10, where does your life rate today? 10 being the absolute best life possible, the, the bottom rung of the ladder being the absolute worst life possible. Then we ask a follow-up question. We say, where do you envision, which rung of the ladder do you envision your life being at five years from now? So imagine we're talking to somebody in, in a, a third world country where there's no clean drinking water or it's a 14-year-old little girl whose parents 
have been killed and, and she's raising her siblings and she rates her life maybe a three. And some of you are like, man, that might even be a two or a one, but let's say she rates it a three. Imagine if that's where she rates it today, but we say, where do you imagine your life five years from now? And she rates it a six. Right? If it goes up, Gallup refers to that as hope. That person is hopeful. That person believes that tomorrow will be better than today. Now, for some of you, you're like, ah, oh, my life's an eight, but you're like, I don't know what's going on in the world and what's going on in the country. And what, it's an eight, but I think it's going to be a six. Right? That means you're living without, without hope. That means your eight that you really want to be a nine or ten is, is not, and there's something that you feel like isn't going to happen. When I read the scriptures, when I spend time praying and listening to God, I, I don't believe he wants us to settle for life. I don't think he wants us to just go, ah, it's, it's, it is what it is, and someday in heaven things will be great. So the scriptures talk about heaven on earth, here and now. Not even the Lord's prayer, it's to give us today our daily bread, and it's on this place as it is in heaven. Like we, he wants us to live life to the full here and now. And when we think about that, when we, when we go back to, in Ephesians, what Paul's talking about, is he actually describes in Ephesians 3, which is where we're going to pick, off, pick up from where Brandon left us last week, is he talks about what does it mean to live a life full of power and strength, a life that's a 10 out of 10, right? What does that look like? And, and here's what, what Paul writes to the Ephesians, starting in verse 16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's saying, I want you to be filled all the way up. Even in the words of Jesus, if I were on the planet when he, when he died and left, and I know his disciples were thinking this, why are you leaving us? He actually said, it's for your good that I'm going away. Because Jesus, in human form, was only in one place at one time. He was not omnipresent is the big word we use for God, being everywhere all at once. He was in a human body. If he was in Jerusalem, he was in Jerusalem. If he was in Bethany, he was in Bethany. If he went to different places, that's where he was. He said, it's for your good. Jesus says, this, it's for your good I'm going away because I'm going to send my spirit to dwell within you, to fill you up. Right? To, to be everywhere we go, he goes. If you're a fifth grader and you go to school, like he's saying, I want to go with you. I want people to look at your life and say, what do you have? Because I want some of that. Now, what's interesting about that and what we're talking about is faith in Christ. And very simply, one of the, one of the key words that you, you see there is faith. Faith. It's interesting, and again, my, I've been at Gallup as a consultant for the last 17 years, and whether it's people read my, my bio or my LinkedIn, right, they'll very quickly see that right out of college I started, I worked for a nonprofit called Young Life that many of you are familiar with. It's a faith-based organization. I then worked here at Ogden Church for a number of years. Um, and right away they go, oh, he's a person of faith, right? 
They're trying to figure that out. They're trying to figure out, so what did you, did you get an MBA or a PhD? And I'm like, I can spell both of those things, but no, I do not have either of those degrees, right? But one, one of the things that, that they quickly try to figure out is, so what, what is he going to do, right? What does he believe? And what sort of weird stuff is he going to judge us for not believing? And I think too many times we confuse faith for religion. We think faith is, well, what, are you Lutheran? Are you Catholic? Are you this? Are you that? Are you, you know, what, what's your faith? And then we're trying to decide, are, we in, are they in or are they out? Are we on the same team? Or are we not on the same team? And what's interesting with, with faith, and actually in Hebrews chapter 11, it, it's, we refer to it often as the, the hall of faith, like the hall of, hall of fame, but it's a hall of faith. It's, it talks about people, and we sang this morning about Moses leading these people, and then he comes to the sea, and he's like, all right, God, this wasn't the plan, right? This is, I followed my GPS, and, you know, it said to go this direction, and here I am, and what's going on? You see, faith, faith is, is trying to figure out, okay, God, what are you calling me into? And then as I get there, I, I don't know what's next, but, but I need to now trust you. Right? Noah, building an ark. You're like, it, it hadn't rained in a really long time. That seemed really silly. He was trying to figure it out, but he goes, it was by faith that he trusted that God had something to figure out. And I think when we confuse faith or religion, what often happens with religion is we're trying to figure out, well, what do you know? What do you believe? Is it this? Is it that? Is it right? Is it wrong? Do we agree? Do we disagree? And we're, we're trying to, to put people into a box. And is it the box or do we need to win them over to our box versus acknowledging where they are and who they are and, and, and trying to bring them on this journey of, I know this much, but then I don't know this much. But if you think about Peter in the story where Jesus invited him to step out of the boat, and it, Jesus references faith, right? Because Peter didn't know. I mean, he saw Jesus walking in the water, and he's like, will it work? Will it not work? Is this only a Jesus trick? Is, can I do it? Right? But he stepped out of the boat. And he was able to walk on the water, and then all of a sudden he began to sink, and maybe he actually thought, that's what I thought would happen anyways, right? But Jesus even looks at him and says, ye of little faith. Right, and the scriptures are filled with these stories and illustrations that Jesus even says with, with faith like a child. Or with the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Right, and, and by the way, Jesus spoke that if, just outside of Jerusalem, there actually is a mountain. Um, it's called the, the Mount Herodian. Uh, King Herod, who was not a follower of Jesus, but he had built that mountain. Flat lands. He believed he could do it, just like an Elon Musk believes he can get to Mars, and you're like, I don't know, and then you're like, oh, maybe he's going to. Yep. You're like, it's happening, right? So th this whole idea of, of what do you know, but then what do you believe? What don't you know? What are you willing to step into to trust who God really is, who, what he wants to do in and through us. What's interesting in that same passage, there's another word, knowledge. And that word knowledge, the, the Greek form of it is gnosis. G-N-O-S-I-S. I, I would have got that one wrong in spelling class. I don't know if you would have too, but, right? The word gnosis means to know. Now, what's interesting, there were, there were people Back in Jesus' day, and there's still a lot of people, I would argue, still today, known as the Gnostics. They had it all. They had all the answers. You'd go to them, what do I need to do here? What, is this, what do the scriptures say about this? And what do I need to do? And what's the law of Moses say? And they had all the answers. They were the Gnostics. They knew. 
right? And by the way, that term today, some of you may, might be familiar with this, but, but we have people that, you know, kind of study the scriptures and believe in Jesus, and we go, yes, we know, we have faith. And then you've got people that would say, I don't believe that at all. Right? Those are called atheists, people that don't believe in God. You've got theists, believe in God. You've got atheists that don't believe in God. And then you've got this bucket in the middle, agnostic. Again, that same word, gnostic, means to know. Agnostic means, I don't know. And there's a lot of people that just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what's true, what's not. What's interesting is real faith means I know, but I also, I don't, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Peter didn't know, would it, work, would it work, would it not? Moses didn't know, will the sea actually part? He said he would, was going to do that. Noah didn't know, is, the, is it actually going to rain, or am I just going to look like an idiot, right? Is my family going to not want to follow me anymore? So it was knowing, but it was also this sense of not knowing. I think too many times we think faith is about, I need to know, I need to have the answers. And then when I have the answers, I need to convince everybody else. And that's where when people go, oh, you're a person of faith. Like, is he going to judge me? Is he going to tell me why I'm wrong? And he's right. Uh, my daughter, who's uh, 20 years old, she's a sophomore at the University of, of South Carolina. Both our kids actually go to school there, and our son is graduating next, next uh, weekend. And our daughter was recently telling us, she said, you know, one of her friends, and he's a lover of Jesus, memorizing a lot of scripture, challenging um, her and her, their friends in a really good way, but she also said he's been listening to all these podcasts and these YouTube videos, and, and now every time they're together, he's like challenging people, nope, you're wrong, what's this, right? She's like, I didn't know we signed up for like some kind of Bible quiz every time we get in the car to go get chicken wings, right? Um, and part of it's not bad, part of it's like, oh, okay, thank you, but she said part of what she was watching happen, not just for herself, but for others, is she was watching others feel judged, and that they didn't have it right. And by the way, this is Christian to Christian. This is, how do we do baptism? How do we, you know, whatever these things are that we want to debate, we've got to say right or wrong. And this idea of, of, of knowing and being the Gnostic, I think too many times we become the know-it-alls. And I don't know about you, but I don't like know-it-alls. I like when I'm the one who knows it all. Nope, you're, you're wrong. Let me, let me teach you, right? But when you're, when you're in debate with someone, and by the way, it could be as simple, and I know a lot of us have weather apps on our phones, I know there's some farmers in the room that you guys are like, you guys are idiots, come to my house, I've got this space station set up, I'll tell you what the weather actually is, right? But we've all got these weather apps on our phone, I go, oh, it's going to rain in seven minutes. And then somebody else will go, no, nope, mine says sunny all day. And I'm like, no, nope, mine says, right? Now, they're both probably wrong. We're like, I don't know. <laughs> we can't control the wind and the waves, and Jesus can. But, but we, we want to debate it. No, this says, right? And we kind of dig in, and we're like, I'm right, and I know this is how it's going to be. And I think too many times in our faith, that's how we show up. We show up as the know-it-alls. Or we're con convinced that that's what we have to do to get close to God. I gotta, I gotta know more. I gotta, I gotta study more. I gotta get the answers right. I gotta figure this out or figure that out. Brandon, Brandon and I were, were connecting a couple weeks ago and just talking about this series. And I was just talking about it. I said, man, I've been following Jesus 30, 30 plus years and I feel like the more I dig into the scriptures and fall in love with Jesus and the truth of, of what I know and believe, there's also so much more that I'm like the mystis, mystical side of God. The not knowing side of God. And there's something about that that doesn't make me become an, an atheist. It actually makes me believe he's the God of the universe. I, I shouldn't fully understand him. 
Right? Even Jesus, who is God incarnate, says, I don't know. I don't know when, when, it, when you know, I will return. I don't know. Even the angels don't know. And you're like, what? I thought you were supposed to know. You didn't know? One of my very favorite passages of Scripture, and I remember hearing it as a, as a teenager, and then I used it a lot when I was um, working with high school kids through Young Life and, and over the last, again, 30-plus years. And it's a story out of John 9. And it's a story where Jesus heals this blind guy, and the, the religious people, the people with the answers, the Gnostics, right, they come to him, and they say to the blind guy, like, who did this? We need to know. We need to know. The, I mean, they were out to get Jesus. Those are the guys eventually that had Jesus crucified. And what was interesting is the blind guy simply answers this way. He goes, I don't know. And they're like, no, no, no. You were blind. Now you can see, like, what, what happened? Tell us. And he goes, I don't know. And then he just tells them what he does know is that his life was changed. He goes, I was blind, and now I see. Now, like you and I, he knew not every person on the planet could do that. So he was most likely guessing that was the Messiah. That was the Son of God. That was somebody who could change my life like nobody else can. But he, he knew he didn't have all the answers. He knew he didn't have all the answers. And by the way, knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge is not a bad thing at all. The, the, the scriptures talk to us about loving God with everything, right? Um, Jesus, when he called his disciples and the men and the women who came to follow him and the apostles, if they were Jewish, he knew that they knew a simple prayer. Um, out of Deuteronomy 6, it was called the Shema, which means to hear, to listen. And, and little Jewish uh, boys and girls were, were taught to pray that in the morning and in the evening, Right? When they woke up and when they went to bed, and it was very simply, and a lot of you know it or know versions of it that the Gospels reiterate, is it's hero Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Right? There's not multiple gods. There's just one God. And we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Right? And a couple of Gospels actually even say, and with all of your mind. You're to love God with everything you have. So I don't think as Christians we're supposed to be lazy or to not know the Word of God or to, to not have answers. But I think when we come across with this sense of arrogance, and I know, and not just with our faith, but with the way that we live, with our weather apps, with dumb little things, and we go, I know, I know, I know, I know, right? You could ask Wendy a story that she will tell you later where uh, my wife and I were newly married and Wendy was like our sidekick wife, right? She was... She was uh, we were on staff here together at the church, and so anytime I was doing something and they would say, here's what you need to do, and then Wendy would chime in and she'd go, actually, and I looked at them both one time and i go, you guys, I know my life, okay, which I did not. I still don't. But I was like, I know, I know, I know, quit tell, wait, wait, don't tell me, like, I got it, I got it, I got it. And I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm with people that have this kind of I know arrogance, I got it all together arrogance, it's not attractive. When Brandon and I were talking about this series and this whole idea of, of what do we know and people that are, are theologians or people that study God, um, he had shared this quote with me, and actually it's uh, St. Jerome, and it says, the scriptures are shallow enough for a baby to come and drink without the fear of drowning and deep enough for a theologian to swim in without ever touching the bottom. Again, Jesus often says, come to me like a child, with the faith of a child. Or that faith of a mustard seed. 
It's not about how much I need to know so that I can debate with you and say, I know, I know, I know, I'm right, you're wrong. This idea of, of thinking about who we are and, and everything in life. Our, our son, again, has graduated from college, and he was trying to figure out in the last six months, what am I going to do after college? And he's getting married, and his wife was trying to figure out, or his future wife was trying to figure out, what is she going to do, and where are they going to live? And, and, and there's all these pieces, that, and I know my life's consumed this way too, and we're just trying to fill it up and fill it up and fill it up, and we're trying to get all the answers. Right? And we're seeking out wisdom from other people. Hey, you know, you've, you've done this or you've done that. Or in our, in our faith, we're like, you've gone farther than I have. And we're trying to read it and consume it and take it in. And we've got our phones and Google and all this information. We have more knowledge to fill us up than ever before. And so we're consuming, 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 consuming. And then we get to that point where, where you go, I, I've got it all. That was 60 seconds. 60 seconds where I stopped talking. Some of you, that was really awkward. You're like, what's wrong with him? Is he okay? <laughs> I, did let the, I did let the sound guys know before the first gathering. I'm like, people at home are like, what's wrong with the TV? It's, something's broken. I don't think I told Brandon. He's like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> 60 seconds. See, the scriptures remind us that if we're to know something, you know what we're supposed to know? We're supposed to know God. He doesn't want us to figure out all the answers. He doesn't want us to be Gnostics and know-it-alls. He wants us to know him. And the psalmist even wrote this. He very simply just says to be still and know that I am God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not good at being still. And some of you were like, I, I got to grab my phone. If he doesn't say anything, I got to do something. I got to look at my phone. I got to do something. Or... You're looking at people next to you and you're like, but we just, we, we aren't good sitting still for one minute, right? One minute. I have the chance to travel over the world as a consultant with Gallup and I get to work with leaders and companies everywhere. And I remember talking to one leader at one point and he's, he's a get stuff done guy and he's always got his phone. He's always doing this and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, what would it look like, Bill, if you listened for one minute longer? To the people that are most important to you. 
He's like, what do you mean? Man? I, just, I just said, I watched you know, one of your key leaders come in and you were, you were talking to them and you're like, yeah, but you're doing this or you're on your laptop or you're, and he's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm good at that. I'm a good multitasker. I go, yep. But what would happen if they know how busy you are, what would happen if you took that phone, put it in your pocket? I said, set a timer for 60 seconds. So it just buzzes, vibrates at you, right? And I go, and you just listen for one minute, 60 seconds. And not just listening to others, but for, for us, for you and I, and I didn't advise my, my client this way, he would have thought I was kooky if I'm like, and listen to God for one minute on your way to... But imagine if we quiet ourselves and we say, God of the universe, I want to know you. If I know you, I can get out of the boat and none of that might make sense. I know this much, but I don't know this much. I, I, that's what faith is. I heard somebody recently say, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control trying to control it. I got to tr- control it. I got to know it. I want to be in control. And what we do, and there's something just in our, in our sinful nature, in our human nature, and psychologists actually say the way our brains oper- operate is we want to be in control. We want to control the situation. If there's crisis, we got to figure it out. Why did that happen? What happened? We got to figure What's the solution? Right? What do we do? Well, here's what you ought to do. And then we give people advice. And I know, or I, I think I know. Or, but, but when we do that, um, the, the language is, is uh, just called dualistic thinking. It's that our brains like to put things in one box or another, right? So when you think about dualistic thinking, there's a list up here behind me, right? Things like tall, short. You walk in a room and you're like, okay, I am the shortest. I'm six foot tall, but you're like, if I'm with kindergartners, you go, I'm pretty tall. If I'm with NBA basketball players, you're like, I'm pretty short, right? If I'm on an airplane, by the way, I was on an airplane a couple weeks ago next to a, what, what looked like a professional football player. He was too big for the plane, right? Um, Bill Stutzman, I know you had to sit next to Don Neuroth a couple times on a plane, so you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're like, I don't want to be tall in that scenario. <laughs> I mean, you're like crammed in there. But we, we think about all these things. And by the way, some of you are like, which list is the good list and the bad list? Right? I've already let you know the Buckeye, my, my feelings for the Buckeyes versus the, uh, by the way, Brandon earlier goes, ooh, I like that you have Buckeye and Darkness on the same side. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? The, the reality is our brains, what we naturally do is go, one of these is right, one of these is wrong. One of these is right, one of these is wrong. Jesus, and especially as you get to the end of that list, I referenced this earlier, but Jesus in John 9 says, we ought to live full of grace and truth. When he was teaching what we can probably still to this day call the greatest sermon ever taught, the Sermon on the Mound, people were like, but the word says, right? The Gnostics, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's really clear. It's right here in the law of Moses. And he says, yes and. Yes and. It says if somebody wants to slap you on the, on the cheek, offer them the other cheek. Somebody asks for your jacket, give them your coat as well. And by the way, back then, a Roman soldier, the Romans kind of ruled, ruled the land. They could say, hey, I need your jacket. We're cold, we're hiking, I need your jacket. But imagine you give it to them, but then you go, hey, you probably need this more than I do. Why don't you take this as well? Take my shirt as well. I get more at the house. All of a sudden, you've just where they were the authority, you just kind of shut it down. 
right? He says, they ask you to walk a mile, go two. They legally could make you carry their pack for a mile. They legally couldn't make you go two miles. That would be illegal for them to do. Jesus says, why don't you just go an extra one? Right after that, he says, you don't have to hate your enemy. What if you loved your enemy? You see, in our brains, we just try to make it. It's right or wrong, and I've got to convince people my way or the opposite. Um, Jill and I are building a house, and uh, just a couple days ago, we were, we were, everything's painted and drywalled, and we're like, all right, we've got to clean up these floors so we can put some flooring down. And I was out there doing some projects. She uh, and one of our friends were helping clean up the floors. And I, I came in. I'm like, hey, have you tried it this way? <laughs> right? And I grab a, and she looks at me, and I'm like, looks like what you're doing is fine. Right? <laughs> You've got a better. There's not, there wasn't a right or a wrong. But yet, think about how, how arrogant that sounded. Think about how belittling that is when we're like, I know. I... I, I uh, I mentioned I work for Gallup. Gallup's operational headquarters is Omaha, Nebraska, and Jill and I and our kids lived out there for 11 years. And Omaha, I don't think you're allowed to be a vegetarian, which I am not, but we got Omaha steaks, and it's kind of beef, beef capital. It's fun when I travel globally, and they're like, would you like a Nebraska steak? And I'm like, nope, I'm in Japan. I would not like to eat Nebraska steaks. I get those, I get those back at home, right? Um, but what's, what was interesting um, is we were out to dinner, had some clients in, and we took them to this great, fantastic steak place. Now, I forgot, and I knew this, uh, but one of my colleagues is a vegan. And I'm like, get to the steak restaurant we're ordering, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Now, I could have I convinced her, I think I could have convinced her, like, all right, tonight's the night. You're going you're gonna to be a meat eater. You'll love it. It's going to be great, right? Here's why you're missing out, right? I could have given her all the case for why I think, thought my way was a better way. Um, what I did instead is I asked her a question. What I did instead is I said, I want to understand her perspective. She thinks differently than me. I, I, I want to hear her perspective. I said, hey, remind me why you're a vegan. I said, you, you had told me at one point that you were, and I think, remember you said something about it. And she, she reminded me, she said, hey, when I was 9 or 10 years old, my mom was diagnosed with this illness, and the doctors recommended she drastically change her diet. She said, my mom, to, to me and my, my sibling and my dad, was like, don't change your diet. I'll just change mine. She said, but uh, her whole family said, nope, mom, we're, we're doing what you're doing. Right? We're in on it. Now, her mom got healthy, and then she actually said her mom went back to eating meat. But she just said, I, I just never changed a habit. I felt healthy. It was good. It was, there was something about it. that. Um, but she, she didn't try to convince me that that was the way I had to change my life. And I didn't have to convince her. Like, both of those things were okay in that moment. And I think there's so many things, little things, that we try to debate with people. Even in the church, you're like, baptism, do we dunk the whole adult? Is it, is it the baby? And we debate these things that, here's what's happening. People that are bystanders and looking at you and I, people of faith, they're looking at us and going, I don't know that I want anything to do with that person. Because we come across as arrogant and prideful and that's not who Jesus was. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Right? The truth, like, be who we are, profess what we profess, say, I know this much, I, 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 there, but there's other things. If we actually use that term, I don't know, it's actually a beautiful thing. I was recently on a call a couple weeks ago with a, a client, and they're based in India. They run a large global technology company. 
and um, the leader I was with, he had, we, we had his whole leadership team on, and then they jumped off, and it was just uh, himself and, and one of my colleagues. And I, I just said to him real quick, I said, hey, I just want to acknowledge to you, there's this servant leadership attitude amongst your team that's beautiful. I said, they're kind, they're, they're generous, they listen to one another. And I said, I don't, I don't see that every organization I go into. Um, and I said, what is that? And he said, first of all, Jeremy, thank you. He said, we teach something here that when people join the organization, we tell them they need to eliminate ick, ick from their life. Ick, ick. And I go, oh, he's going to teach me. I'm, I, I'm not bilingual. He's going to teach me some, some of his native language. This is great. And I go, what's ick, ick? Is this some Indian word or proverb? Or, he goes, no, it's I-K, I-K. Just, just four letters. He goes, it stands for I know, I know. He goes, Jeremy, we're recruiting people that, this is a technology company. They, they have degrees, they have certifications, they know tons of stuff, they're creating things that are changing the world faster than you and I could ever ask or think of. And he said, they know a lot, but the very first thing we teach them is to stop saying, I know, I know. See, back to that passage in Ephesians, one of the key words, and it happens to be also right before that knowledge piece, but that word love, Paul hits us with it over and over and over. Right? It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. A love that's bigger than knowledge. When you and I lead with, I know, I know, or you're wrong, let me tell you why. That's not love. You go, oh, but I'm being truthful, Jeremy. You have spinach on your teeth. You look like an idiot, which all of you are licking your upper teeth right now. You're like, what? You know? But we've got people like that in your life. You know, they're like, your hair looks like, or what's, what's wrong? You know, you're like, there's truth tellers. No, I'm just being honest, just being truthful. But when we do that without love, and we've also got people that are just so nice and they don't want to, but when we're full of grace and truth, when we're filled with the love of the Father that surpasses everything, a love that doesn't make any sense, he goes, that, that's, that's this faith that others will be drawn to. That's the life that others will look at you and say, I want that. A lot of you are familiar with, with Paul's writings to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he lists out these qualities of love. We, we share them a lot in weddings, and many of you know them. And love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast. And about six months ago, my wife and I were like, hey, we've been married 26 years, but let's, and are followers of Jesus for longer than that, let's, let's go through this like a checklist, right? Let's see how we're doing. By the way, six months later, we're still on the first two. Not because I don't love her, not because I don't love my God. but mostly because my own arrogance, my own pride. My own, I think if I, that light, light and darkness, I think if I just run toward light and seek all the good things, the reality is in Genesis 1, it wasn't light and no darkness. It actually said that God brought light into the darkness. And when you and I deal with our own junk, not run from it, not just pretend it will go away, but when we deal with it, When we start being honest with ourselves and realize I'm being a know-it-all, I'm being a jerk, it's not breathing life into the people around me, 
into my spouse or into my kids or into other people. I don't care if you go, but I love Jesus. You're like, man, but if you're shutting people down with your know-it-all Gnostic attitude, that is not the love of God. Those people are not falling more in love with the God of the universe because of my arrogance and my pride. The other day, Jill came up to me in a very loving, kind way. She just looked at me and she goes, hey, um, I didn't like the way you were talking to me earlier. Because she was truthful when she said it with love and grace, I didn't debate that. It actually shut me down in a good way where I said, I know exactly what you're talking about, and you're right. Paul talks about inner weakness. He is strong. It's this whole idea that we try to be one or the other. I got to be strong. I got to be sinless. I got to be. And we're like, when we shine a light into the darkness, when we confess the stuff that's going on in our lives, when we repent and we, we turn back to the God of the universe, when we quit pretending we have all the answers and we're trying to debate our faith and we go, there's certain things I know and I'm confident in, but there's a lot of things I don't know. When we humble ourselves and die to ourselves, that's where God uses us the most. That's where people look at us and go, hey, I was watching the way you led in that meeting and I want to live a life like yours. Tell me about your faith. Tell me about your God. I don't know how many of you have a favorite breakfast. Um, growing up for me, it was, it was this. You guys know what those are? Pop-Tarts, yeah, some of you are like, those are good, right? Um, that one with the chocolate and the marshmallow, that was my favorite. That was a s'more Pop-Tart. I'm not sure how that one snuck into the breakfast food group, but it did, right? Um, they do make one that's like apple-flavored. I don't think it actually has apple in it. I think that's why they say flavored, right? Um, one of the things that's, that's interesting, and I was, I was recalling uh, a, a little video I watched years ago. It was called Tomato, and this guy talked about his wife makes the absolute best salsa in the world. And he said the reason her salsa is so good is she gets the freshest, ripest, right-off-the-vine aroma tomatoes. And he said if she would have used tomatoes that were three, four, or five weeks old, I don't think anybody would have wanted to eat that salsa, right? If she would have used, made salsa out of some kind of chemical, whatever's in these Pop-Tarts, you guys could probably tell me there's food in there, but I think most of it's, it's something that resembles food, right? Um, the reality is, the fresher something is, the better it is for you and I, right? If I said, I'm going to eat a Pop-Tart or an apple, which one do you think is healthier for me? Hands down, we would all say the apple. I know some of you would say the Pop-Tart and you try to do the research and debate it, but we all know the apple will be healthier for me. What's interesting, and, and this was the point that guy landed when he was talking about the tomato and the freshness of it, is anything that gives us life was once alive and had to die to give us life. Whether you're a meat eater, whether you're a vegetarian, Anything that gives life has to die first. If you and I want to be people who live life to the full, if we want to be people who breathe life into others, who become the hands and the feet of God the Father, who bring heaven to this earth, to this planet here and now, it starts with you and I being willing to die to ourselves. And not where you're a doormat and let people walk over you. For anything, it's, it's some of us need to stop bullying people by trying to be the know-it-all and be what's right and say what's right and you have all the answers. We need to die to self and be better listeners 
and be more present and be more patient and be more kind and catch yourself in the moment and say, time out, I'm, this isn't who I want to be. I want to understand you. I want to love you. You guys, if you and I can pause and ask ourselves this question, not just are you dying to live, but are you willing to die in order that others might truly live? That's what Christ did for us. And that's what he wants us to do for others. To quit trying to know and be arrogant and prideful, but to pause and to listen and to understand and to love and to be filled by the love of the Father through His Spirit that surpasses all knowledge. How wide and how deep that it would overflow from us into those, and especially those in your family and in this room and the people that you're closest with, because others are watching. And if we want them to know this God, it doesn't come from our Gnostic debate. It comes from the love that doesn't make any sense. Pray with me. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you even told us it was for our good that you were going away. That doesn't make sense to me, but it does in the sense that you could only be in one place at one time. And because of the cross, because of the resurrection, you sent us your Holy Spirit who dwells in each of us. And for any of us, God, on this planet that profess faith in you and repent of our sins, you want to dwell within us. You want us to be your hands and your feet and your voice. And Father, we confess that when we try to be the know-it-all Christians, we actually don't represent you well. When we try to say, but the law says, help us to think the way you thought. Help us to find the third option. Help us to go above and beyond. Help us to be quiet and hear from the God of the universe. Help us to be quiet and hear the people you put in front of us in ways that they feel heard and understood and loved. Father, you desire for us to live life to the full. Help us to get out of our own way. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11 a.m. If you'd like any more information about Ogden Church, just visit our website at ogdenchurch.org or Facebook. 